Welcome to the podcast of Rogue Valley Christian Church. We hope to be a place that connects you to Jesus, encourages you to grow in your faith, and challenges you to serve the world. If you brought a Bible, I would encourage you to grab that now. You can turn to the book of Mark chapter 10. As you're doing that, you can find verse 17. And as you're doing those things... Let me just remind you that one of our distinct commitments here as a church is to not just to read, not just to give the Bible like an honorary place, but actually to engage the Word of God, to actually hear what it has to say, to think about it, and even be challenged by it. And I pray that even as we've entered into a season of Lent where we as a church, together with the church globally, are doing anything and everything we can to be better prepared to celebrate the resurrection with great joy. Yes? Even as we've entered into this season and we're making time to pray, some people are letting go of certain activities or certain things. Many are fasting from certain things, which I encourage you, go ahead and keep it up if that's what you're doing Uh, If you haven't let anybody know that, you might want to let people know that simply because it gets difficult. I've got a certain thing that I'm giving up for the season of Lent, and yesterday was a tough day because all I wanted to do was engage Facebook Marketplace. (laughs) And some of you might be thinking, that's not very spiritual, Darren. You should give up something more significant. Well, if I showed you my screen time and how much time I spend trying to wheel and deal things you would see it's very spiritual. (laughs) But I found that as I let people know, it's helpful and there can be encouragement to say, hey, just keep it up, right? Well, know this, as we're going through the story of Jesus through the scriptures, we are just like Jesus was in the story. We are pointing our eyes and our hearts to the cross. And make no mistake about it, that's what's happening in the story of Jesus. He is determined to go to Jerusalem where he will embrace the cross willingly. He will give up his life sacrificially in order that people could have their sins forgiven. Like without a doubt, Jesus is resolute about this. And if you've been keeping score or paying attention, as the weeks go on, as he's going to Jerusalem, serious things and conversations come up. Like there's this sense of like, this is what I'm doing and I want to make sure everybody understands it. So last week, remember, he spent some time encouraging his disciples in light of this divine delay, in light of this time in which we are living right now where we find him yet want to find him all the more, where we look and wait for his return. He encouraged his disciples to pray so that they would not lose heart. And then it's as if he's talking to the disciples. There's this moment where that, mo- that, that meeting with his guys is interrupted by some moms and some dads bringing kids to him. And the disciples are like, well, we like this concept and it feels good in our heart. It's just not the right time. You got to wait till the Bible study's over. You got to wait till the spiritual meeting has come to a conclusion. We will have baby blessing time after the service, Right? And Jesus says, no, 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 don't interrupt them. Don't hinder them. Let them come. And he says something unique. He says, for the kingdom belongs to such as these. 
Like these, the children, these kids, these babies, these young ones, right? They have an ability to do what sometimes we as adults overthink and overcomplicate, and that is to simply trust, right? If we can barrel it down, narrow it down. I don't know why barrel is, is a phrase that I even thought of because it doesn't work. But if we were to narrow it down, boil it down, that's the phrase. Like if we were to nail it down, see, I'm just getting confused. If we were to focus just a little bit, we would recognize, well, wait a minute. That's all he wants from us is this ability to just wholeheartedly, honestly, openly come to him and trust him. Trust him. Openly, wholeheartedly recognize that we've got to trust him because we can't do this thing on our own. Like we need somebody to take care of us. You see the connection with kids and children. So then it's without coincidence as we find ourselves in the book of Mark reading a passage where a rich young ruler during those days comes and asks Jesus, what should I do to inherit the kingdom? What should I do to be one who gets to enter into eternal life? And it's interesting that the, the timing of it as the gospel writers, because it's not just Mark, Luke and Matthew do the same thing. They record the same story in this same place. We're supposed to see the contrast between this idea and this call to be those who just trust the Lord, right? Openly and honestly, recognizing there's nothing that we can bring to the table that's actually going to help us. And this rich young ruler who comes sincerely believing that he's done everything to take care of himself. So look at what happens. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. There's this sincere question by the man as he was setting out on his journey. And remember, we have to keep in mind, as he is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, he's going to Jerusalem. We can't underestimate it. We can't get so comfortable with it that we know, yep, 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 that's what he's gonna do and just keep moving forward. We have to see the, the significance of, of, of Christ's commitment to the cross. There was nothing that was going to distract him. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Just know this, I'm not sure how you may have heard this. If you've heard this passage before, I'm not quite sure how you may have heard it, whether you heard it uh, taught that the man was insincere or prideful or whatever, I suggest to you that according to the original language, the man was sincere in his question. Like there was this, we get this rare example in the Gospels of one who is coming to Jesus, a Jewish man who is coming to Jesus sincerely, wanting to know. There's a sense that he, whether he believes wholeheartedly or not, he's interested and he's inquiring and he's at least asking an honest question. So he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in verse 18, we see Jesus doing something that Jesus always does that I don't know about you, but in my own personal life, I find very frustrating. Lord, I asked you a question. Why are you answering a different one? Are you with me? Lord, I prayed this prayer. Why are you talking about this situation? Do you, do you, do you see that? So Jesus, being asked by the man, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right, says this to him. He says, well, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, here's the interesting thing. In their cultural time, 
the term good teacher wasn't thrown out there very often. In fact, it was rarely used. And so this man, here's the cool thing. He sincerely, and I don't believe some, some commentators say that he was just trying to butter him up. I don't actually believe that. I think he was sincerely recognizing, wait, this guy's gooder than all the other guys. Grammatically speaking. Like, I think there's a sincere recognition that this Jesus character, whoever he is, is better than all the rest. So I'm going to use a phrase within my cultural context that indicates to him that out of respect, I think he's better than the average. Thank you. Jewish teacher. I think he's better than that. There's a sincere thing there, right? Just know this, in our sincerity, we can still sincerely kind of miss the mark a little bit. Because Jesus says to him, well, why do you call me good? And if the guy had a chance to answer, which Jesus doesn't give him one, which we just have to maintain, it's okay for God to do that because he's God and we're not. And if he interrupts, he does it per, 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 what's the word? Perfectly. Right? So, he interrupts me. I was like, well, d d uh, let me, and Jesus says, there's nobody good except for God alone. Jesus takes this opportunity. Remember, he's on his way to the cross. Remember, he's going to go and die for the sins of the world. Remember, he's going to go and sacrifice his own life. Remember, he's going to go and do for them what nobody would do for themselves. Remember, he's doing this. And he takes a moment based on the way the guy asks a question to teach and reveal to everyone, specifically his disciples and those who would be paying attention, I am God and I am about saving you. He's giving people opportunity to be able to connect all of these dots, whether they do it beforehand or afterwards. And many did it afterwards. They recognize, whoa, this man was significant. And to us who would say, this man was significant, he might actually look at us and go, why do you call me significant? There's no one more significant than God himself. See, that's the point. He's wanting the man and everyone else to recognize that he is God in the flesh. And if they would recognize that what he has to say is more authoritative than anything else that's been said, which is the challenge. So Jesus goes on and he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your mother and father. Jesus appeals to him based on how the man was coming. He's a rich, young ruler, meaning this. He was a wealthy Jewish man who had a certain amount of status and power within his community, a certain amount of recognition that came with his ability, his ability on his own to keep certain parts of the law, at least the outward expressions of the law, okay? So this is important. Jesus responds to him. The guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good? You need to understand the one that you're asking this question of is God himself. So whatever he says to you is authoritative. So with that in mind, you know the commandments. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Decalogue or not, the Ten Commandments found in the book of Exodus. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not. But if you're not, you should note this, that when Jesus responds to him according to the commandments, he only speaks to him about the second five. Are you with me? 
You might be thinking, well, why is that important? Because if you go back to the book of Exodus and you look at the Ten Commandments, you'll see that the first five have to do with one's relationship with God. The second five have to do with one's relationship with humanity. Are you with me? And so Jesus responds to him by calling out the second five, which, by the way, I think is interesting. Because the first five are elusive. Are we okay with that? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And people would say, I am. And there's really no way, unless they say, I am. I, I'm, right? <laughs> Usually that's what happens. If you get all prideful about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to fall pretty quickly. <laughs> Did that on purpose. They say, I am. But to be completely honest, there's really no way to check that, is it? You have to take people at their word. But the second five that have to do with how you treat other people, that have to do with how this man treated other people, those can be checked off. Those can be, cor cor the, it's the word cor cor thanks. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how many of you knew that I knew the word and how many of you think that I didn't really know the word? And how many of you thought, he knows the word, he just doesn't know how to pronounce it because his brain's not working right now. <laughs> the second five can be corroborated. They can be checked. Love your neighbor. Okay, does he? See, I think this is interesting because understand this. It's my estimation that Jesus is trying to bring this man to an end of himself. So, this is part of that process. He says, you know the commandments, do all of these things. Verse 20, and the man said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Teacher, I've done all of these things since I was bar mitzvahed at 12 to 13 years old. I've done it since I became a man, since I, since I left boyhood in the past and I became a man in my culture. I've done it to the best of my ability. And by the way, people would have corroborated. They would have confirmed that. So look at what happens. And Jesus, looking at him, do you guys see this phrase? Looking at him, loved him. Loved him. See, I think it's a sincere and honest conversation. Now, you and I know theologically, though this man was able to keep the outward expressions of the law, inwardly there was probably some issues and struggles and sins and shortcomings. Amen? Like, that's what the scriptures teach. So externally, he was doing a pretty good job. But internally, he was probably as far off as any other sinner. And I mean that respectfully. Right? And in the midst of this open, honest, and sincere conversation with Jesus, Mark, who's probably telling Peter's story, makes sure that the readers then and us now know that this conversation, at least on Jesus' part is happening from a deep place of love. Because it says, Jesus loved him. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him even while he was a sinner. According to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Then he said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. So Jesus says to him, okay, you've kept the external part of the law as it relates to these second five commandments. 
But there's one thing that you lack. And that's an internal commitment that recognizes that I am more important than all other things in your life. So go and make the proper adjustments. And for this man who was young and wealthy, it meant taking his material wealth, divesting himself of it, letting it go, in order to help those around him really love his neighbors on a level that was from the inside out, not just the outside in, not just a, hey, I love you, let me know if you need some sugar, right? On a way that was sacrificial, he challenges him to love him in a way that would be more in keeping with the way that God loves, which is sacrificial and selfless, kind and giving, right? So he encourages him to do that and then come and continue to follow him. Not just follow me in this one thing, but follow me in everything, right? Follow my example and do this, and then follow me as I lead and guide you through your life. So look at what happens. It says this in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's actually a sad little moment, right? I think the guy was sincere. I think he sincerely wanted to get some things figured out. But in his sincerity, he, he was not necessarily aware of something that was going on within his heart that stood between or that was getting in the way of him and his relationship with God. And it was so big that the man was disheartened by the things that Jesus said and went away saddened because he had so many possessions. In other words, because he couldn't figure out how to reconcile the leading of the Lord with the practical life he was living. Like in his mind, that didn't make sense. And he walked away sad. Now we're gonna get to that in a moment, but let's continue on. So in verse 23, at that moment, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, I love the fact that he's always looking to his guys and teaching them lessons, even in the reality of what's going on, moms, dads, leaders, people, anyone in charge of anyone, anyone who has opportunity to have a voice in anyone's life, know this, most of what is learned is caught more than it is taught. Are you with me? So they're just walking through life. And there's this moment, the disciples are like, and just so you know, at this point, let me fill in a gap for you. At this point, the disciples would have been drop-jawed and dumbfounded by what just happened. Because in the context of their culture, this rich young ruler who they knew did his best to keep the commandments was obviously on God's favorable side because they equated, their whole culture equated material wealth with the blessings of God. And so from their perspective, the disciples at this moment where the, where the man walks away saddened, they no doubt when he came to talk to Jesus believed that Jesus was going to celebrate his great faithful life, which they had seen through the, I mean, he's been blessed by God. Look at everything that he's got. Which, by the way, is still a mistake that people make today. Yes? So obviously he's been blessed by God. This guy's going to get it, and he's going to get it good. <laughs> And instead he does it, and he walks away sad, and the disciples without a doubt are just sitting there going. And they're doing so for two reasons. Number one, they expected the guy to be blessed, but number two, if he's in trouble, what does that say for us? Because I don't have two shekels to rub together. 
I was going to say pennies and pesos, and I knew that those were the wrong currencies. Right? I don't have any of that. We've left everything. Peter's going to talk about it. So Jesus, aware of what's going on, looks at his disciples and says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples, verse 24, were amazed at his words. They were amazed because they assumed, just like everybody else in their culture, material wealth meant you were blessed by God. And yet that's not the case. It's not always the case. So Jesus says to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Notice the second time when he talks to him, the first time he said, it's difficult for wealthy people to enter the kingdom because it's hard for wealthy people to let go of their wealth. It's hard for wealthy people to not trust in their wealth. Are you with me? And just, just, can we just do something just to set something up for later? Are you guys okay with that? Are you okay with being divinely set up? <laughs> right? I don't know if it's divine or not. Are you okay with being set up according to the scriptures? Yes, just say yes. So here's the deal. We need to understand, I don't know about you, but when I read these passages and I read Rich Young Ruler, at my point in life, I'm exempt from whatever it is that Jesus is trying to teach. Because number one, I am not young anymore. Amen? And might I add, neither are most of you. I didn't say all. I just said most. Number two... Wealthy is not what I would consider myself. All in favor? Everybody agree with that? How many of you think, you know what? I don't know what he's talking about. I'm flat rolling in it. <laughs> and I'm flat rolling in it because I've been blessed by God more than you. Now, if that's you, don't admit that because we're all going to judge you. I'm just simply trying to point out that it's easy for us to exempt ourselves from what it is that Jesus might be trying to teach us because maybe we're not young, maybe we're not wealthy. Don't forget, we live in America. Where the poor of, poorest of us is still better off than the vast majority of the world around us. You're welcome. So they're blown away. Jesus says the first time, it's hard for wealthy people to enter the kingdom because wealthy people have a hard time not trusting their resources to do for them the things that only God can do with them. Let me say it this way, and it's going to sting. I told Dalton, Dalton asked me this morning, how you doing? I said, I'm ready to, I'm just getting ready to offend everybody in the room. And he said, well, have fun with that. Americans find it difficult to let go of and to not trust in whatever it is that we think that we've accomplished on our own to do for us what only God can actually do for us. And if that stings a little, hold on tight, I'm going to say some more. But the second time when he talks to his disciples, the disciples are like blown away and astonished. Like, wait, I don't understand. How in the world does this work for anyone? And Jesus says, well, this is how, this is how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Only this time, he doesn't put a, a, a condition on wealth. He just says, this is how difficult it is for anyone. It's as if it's as difficult as a camel trying to enter through the 
eye of a needle. And I know, just so you know, I know that scholars believe that there are different gates around the city of Jerusalem. One was called the eye, and camels had to go down really low to get through. I know that that's a historical reality, but I also know that there is a thing called a needle, and it's really difficult to get, not especially, if you guys handshake, you ever try to thread a needle with shaky hands? You know how you do it? You ask somebody around you with steadier hands to do it. That's how you do it. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you hear that? It's more difficult for a camel to enter, in, enter through the eye of the needle than it is for somebody to enter into the kingdom of God. Recognize this. Though your hands might not shake, it's difficult for all of us to thread that needle. Impossible. So what do we have to do? We have to ask somebody for help. This is the point of the whole passage. This is what Jesus is trying to communicate. You, rich young ruler, you, disciple, you, everyone in the audience, you need my help because I can and will and am willing lovingly to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Did somebody just say, thank you, Jesus? So good. Because <laughs> that's the point, right? So then he says to his disciples, this is how hard it is. And the disciples are still having a hard time with it, which I love. I love the fact that it's in here because it gives me hope because sometimes I have a hard time with the things of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to them, now exceedingly astonished is not necessarily, wow, that's amazing. It's not that. Exceedingly astonished is, wait, what? Do you see, do you see that? Like literally, do you see that? So then look at what happens. In that moment, they say, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? You see, they, like many of us, were used to judging people's spiritual state based on external things alone. And if the external things, based on their culture or even ours, all lined up, well, then they were definitely fine. But Jesus cuts through all of that. He's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> he cuts through all of that. Why? Because he loves individuals more than just to let them drown in their own sense of self-reliance. So the disciples are blown away and they're like, but who could be saved then? And in verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. He gives them the gospel. So Peter then says, again, Peter I, just so you know, it's my opinion. At this moment, the disciples should have celebrated the provision of God. Oh, my goodness. God, you're so gracious. You're so amazing. They should have been exceedingly astonished in the other sense, right? But they don't. Instead, Peter goes, well, you know what, Lord? I've left everything for you. <laughs> so Peter says, see, we've left everything and followed you. Well, we've done it. We've done what he couldn't do. We certainly have to be better. And remember, they culturally thought that they were worse off than them. And so there's that inherent part of humanity that's like, well, I don't want to be judged. And here's this guy who seems to be equaling the playing field. I'm going to make sure that he knows I'm equal. See, Lord, I've left everything. I got to wonder if some of the more insightful disciples just went. You know what I mean? 
Oh, my goodness. So Peter says, well, we've left everything. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not retreat, receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says, don't you worry about all of those things. You're missing the point here. This isn't about what you've given up in order to be where you want to go. This is about where you're going. And everything that you've given up, whatever it is that your heart longed for and tried to get through those things, will be fulfilled in ways that you can't even imagine. And that's going to be important that you hang on to that internal heart reality because the fulfillment is supposed to go beyond just the physical. It's supposed to be happening in the spiritual, relational, emotional. And when that happens, you got to hold on to that feeling because times are going to get tough. And when they get tough, you got to hold on. Right? And then Jesus says to him, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Peter, if you want to play that game, let me warn you. Many who you think would be first in line to enter the kingdom, like that rich young ruler, are actually going to be last. And many that you've judged that are last, those who don't deserve it or those who aren't quite as good as spirituality as those who are in front of them in the line, they're actually going to be first because they get it. That what they get is the reality that self-reliance saves no one. No one. So quickly, what are we to make of this passage? Just know this, Jesus, as he's going to the cross, is challenging his disciples to understand that entrance into the kingdom of God is by faith alone, in the Son of God alone, and what he alone could do for them, which he was going to do. Don't forget, that's running in the background. That's going to happen. We're going to get to the cross in a few short weeks. In the meantime, what are we to do with it? It's worth noting this. Although Jesus was not making a case for universal asceticism. You like, you like that phrase? I thought I'd throw one in just to smarten up the room. Universal asceticism. Jesus is not saying that anyone who wants to follow him must get rid of all of their belongings. That's not the point that he was making. That was the point that that man had to hear. Okay? So although Jesus was not making the case for universal asceticism, it's worth mentioning that money can be a big deal. Money can be a big deal because it can become a big deal to us or distract us from the big deals within us. And what I mean by that is this. Maybe you've shown up today and all this talk about this rich young ruler, he needs to sell everything and he doesn't know and ah, da, da, da. there's a defensive mentality about what's happening here. That's fine. Just know this. Maybe money's a bigger deal. Money or materialism, there we just broaden its spectrum, is a bigger deal than maybe we think it is. It's a big deal. It may not be the biggest deal, but it can be a big deal. Either it is the big deal and you got to deal with it, you got to recognize that no amount of bank account savings is going to make you feel the security that Jesus can within your heart. Like we literally, I literally talked to somebody this week who didn't understand that that was going on in their lives. And upon pouring over this passage and working through it, it came up a little bit. And the person, the individual was like, oh my gosh, I think money's a bigger deal in my life than I thought. That's exactly the point. And if it is, you find yourself in that space. Just know there's hope. There's just, there's hope. 
Like, divest yourself of it. And I'm not saying get rid of it all and give it all away. That's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is divest yourself of that attitude that says, I'm going to hold on to this because it means my security. And it means my future and my hope. And it means everything to me. You can, you can just do this. Just let go of it like that. Allow the Lord to work a different attitude. Money can also be a big deal because it can distract us from the other big deals. Meaning, in the context of this passage, we can go, I don't have to, I don't struggle with money. So, like, for those that have come this morning and they have a hard time with money or materialism, good luck. You need to hear what he's saying. But as it relates to me, I'm poor and happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and if you're just looking at it from a money issue, it could actually be a distraction from the other big deals because I suggest to you this. Just as we shouldn't allow money or materialism to master us, we should see that Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, is a call to let go of anything that we allow to get in the way of God's guidance in our lives. Anything. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what does he mean by anything? Just take a deep breath. I'm going to do my best to offend all of us. We should let go of materialism if materialism is standing between us and God. If materialism is either standing in between us and accepting God as our Lord and Savior, or if materialism is a continual barrier that we find in our, in, in our way as it relates to following him and obeying him. So if it's materialism, let it go. If it's money and your stuff, let it go. It's just money and stuff. Does that make sense? Money and stuff, by the way, has no eternal value. It's all temporal. It can help us today, but it doesn't help us necessarily in the afterlife. Does that make sense? Now, I know you're saying, but you already said that you're not wealthy, and so it's easy for you. Yeah, I'm also American. I got a lot compared to a lot of people that I know. So just hang tight. Like, let it go if it's materialism. Maybe it's not materialism. Maybe it's dogmatism. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world? Wait, what? Dogmatism. You know that part of you that makes up your mind that you know everything about everything and no amount of anyone and any, any other thing is going to change what you know about that thing? Like, just so you know, you might want to let go of dogmatism. And just so you know, the church throughout history, not just this church, but the church globally throughout history, has struggled with dogmatism to the point of actually unnecessarily judging and alienating other people and distancing themselves from God. Because sometimes in the midst of knowing what they know about everything, God is like, yeah, but I'm actually telling you something else. But we go, no, 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 Lord, this is what I know. This is what I know because it's what I've been told. This is what I feel. This is what I know. Blah, 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 blah. Let go of dogmatism. You know what I mean? And I recognize it's in play almost every week. Why? Because any accurate study of the word of God is going to push our buttons. It's going to push on those parts of us that are like, wait, no, 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 no. I don't know if I agree with that because I know it to be something else. In those moments, I'm not asking for your unconditional trust. I'm just asking in those moments where we have buttons pushed by the word of God, I'm asking that we go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe the issue isn't the speaker or the teacher. Maybe the issue is what's going on in me. Lord, could you help me? Is there an attitude or a knowledge or is there something that needs to be rearranged? Some of us got to divest ourselves, let go of dogmatism. Others, it's egotism. That idea that I'm the most important thing, right? Well, of course Jesus would die for me. Have you seen me? Do you see what I mean? I don't know if the Lord knows this. 
But you've told me before that he's all-knowing. And if he's all-knowing, he'll know I'm a pretty big deal. He wants me on his team. Like that, honestly, it just gets in the way. And I know I'm being ridiculous. And I know most of us are like, well, I don't have that attitude. Well, at the same time, we do struggle with thinking about ourselves more than we should. So maybe some of us have to let go of a little bit of egotism. I got another one here, but I think I'm going to give you another one before I give you that one, because the one that I want to give you is going to hurt a little, so I'm going to give you a different one. <laughs> For others, we've got to let go of intellectualism. That idea that's just, well, I think. Right? Well, I, don't, I, I mean, I know what that said, but I think. Like that part of us that thinks that I think is some sort of trump card to win arguments with other people and especially God. That's ridiculous. Got to let go of it. Let's just go there. I also think in the context of our day and age, and this is going to be difficult, some of us, some people, you got to let go of your patriotism. Because this uncompromising commitment to Americanism may actually cause you to find yourself in conflict with a God who loves the world not just the United States. We shouldn't be so committed to a country that we could care less about the people who live in the country. Now, some of you are like, oh man, I'm never coming back. Or you're like, I've watched him go out that side door. I'm gonna be there when he gets there. It's fine. Let's go. And when I say let's go, let's sit down, have a cup of coffee, and discuss things. <laughs> right? Let's go for a minute, right? Like, we should be careful. I'm not saying not to be a patriot. I'm not saying not to be grateful for the country we live in. We all should be. There's amazing blessings that come with living in America. We get to do this, by the way, without worry of anyone coming in and closing us down at this point. We get to do this. We get to do it with, 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 with a huge amount of freedom. Does that make sense? I'm just saying that we shouldn't be more committed to America than we are to Jesus. We should never allow our patriotism to affect our spirituality. And if we got to get that rearranged and organized, I would beg of you, get it rearranged and organized. Because we live in this tension of now and not yet. And I've already made the case that part of the reason there is a now and not yet, a now reality to the kingdom, but not yet, yet, not yet, yet in its fulfillment is because God desires to rescue and save as many sinners who, as, who will turn to him. And as Americans, we should be doing our part to point people towards the gospel more than just giving them a view of a country that eliminates the need for it. So some of us, we got to let go of a little thing called patriotism. Some of us, and this one, okay, just, just so you know, because some of you are like, well, he better offend some other people. I'm going to. I'm going to go after everybody under 30 right now. Are you okay with this? <laughs> some of us got to let go of our emotionalism. Have you guys had conversations with people that go, well, I just feel. Have you ever, as a parent, wanted to go, I don't care how you feel. I want to talk about things that are true and real. Yeah, but I, I just, 
I don't feel like that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love you. Well, it doesn't feel like it. Some of you are wondering who I'm impersonating. I'm not going to tell you, but it is somebody. <laughs> it's nobody in the room. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, it's me at 20, just so you know. <laughs> okay? Like, some of us got to get over that. Well, I just feel, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but there is a whole part of our culture that is running just on how they feel. And it's, t it, like, it's not as good for us as we think it is. I feel, so for instance, yesterday, I felt, have you guys ever experienced the miraculous reality of Whataburger? <laughs> Whataburger is a burger joint that way. That the rest of the country east of the Rockies gets the ability to experience on a pretty regular basis. Whataburger will serve Dr. Pepper milkshakes. <laughs> Is that just the way you feel? <laughs> or are you going to allow me to speak the truth? So yesterday, I, I felt like I wanted a Whataburger Dr. Pepper milkshake, but you can't get one in Medford. But what you can get is the ice cream out of your freezer and a Dr. Pepper from the corner market. So I did that. And on my own, because I'm a bit of a mad scientist, I mixed up a concoction that had vanilla ice cream, bean, not old-fashioned, <laughs> vanilla ice cream, a little bit of 2% milk, and some Dr. Pepper. Knowing there's a 50-50 chance this isn't going to be good. <laughs> so I mix it all up, and I drink it down my gullet. And it was perfect. I might add better than my memories of Whataburger. So you know what I did? I embraced my feelings once again. I felt like I wanted not one, but two. <laughs> so I made another. I had that one. And then I felt like I wanted more, and Ezekiel and Bethany didn't like them. So you know what I did? I drank theirs. Here's a case in point. My feelings by yesterday evening helped me zero. I had a stomach ache. I felt horrible, cold, clammy sweats, realizing as I'm sitting on my couch, thinking to myself, those things are more gross than they are good and were probably never meant to be combined in flavors for the long-term good effect. Does that make sense? There's an entire poor part of our culture that's living just like this. But when they get to the place where their feelings have led them to a place that doesn't feel so good, they just get more feelings about it. Some of us have got to let go of emotionalism. I don't know what it is, but I know that there's probably something, and I believe it to be true because we're all here today. I would bet that there's something that we're struggling with that tends to stand in the way of following God's guidance in our lives. Why don't you stand for just a moment? And maybe the process of Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31, as we read it and think about it, maybe it's a call to consider 
the idea of getting rid of or laying down or letting go of or divesting ourselves from anything that gets in the way of our relationship with the Lord, maybe that's an easier process as, remember, as we remember exactly how the passage paints Jesus. Just for your own, go back and look later. You'll see in chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, you see Jesus is portrayed as the God who is approachable. Verses 19 through 21, Jesus is the God who lovingly knows everything, knew exactly what the guy needed. In verses 23 through 25, Jesus is the God who is willing to carefully challenge any and every single one of our spiritual presumptions. Verses 26 and through, through 27, Jesus is the God who was willing to give his life as a ransom for many. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Verses 28 through 31, Jesus is the God who is gracious and patient with his people. Peter says, well, but, but, but what about me? And Jesus is like, okay, Peter, take a deep breath. It's all going to get worked out. See, my belief is this. Today's an invitation to let go of anything that stands between you and God. And you have an opportunity symbolically to do that by leaving it at the foot of the cross. We're going to sing one more song together. And as we do, I just want to draw your attention. There are, or should be, pens and paper in the seat backs in front of you. And if there was any moment where the Holy Spirit stirred your soul, maybe it was about patriotism, maybe it was about egotism, maybe it was about intellectualism or emotionalism or any of the other isms like materialism or whatever, or maybe it was something else altogether. I suggest that we don't come across these passages haphazardly. We believe that we get led here purposely. And could it be that we're here today because God wants to take a group of people and he wants to refine and refresh our walk with him by giving us an opportunity to symbolically let go of those things that we know that hinder us from following him. Thank you for listening. For more information about Rogue Valley Christian Church, please visit our website at www.rvchristian.com.